Live from the Denver Press Club presents the topic of conversation with your host, Rob Scoggins. Hey everybody and welcome, I'm Rob Scoggins, your host, this is the Topic Conversation at the Denver Press Club. We're here every Wednesday night and we are so privileged and pleased to have uh, this wonderful guest tonight. His name is Christopher Bennett and he is a, a clean rapper, a clean rapper. He's going to explain what that means. I think it means you open up the candy bar and it's nothing messy. So we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Corny. <laughs> we'll talk about that in just, in just a few minutes and we're going to talk also, he is also a culinary chef. Uh, a French culinary chef, uh, Crepes a Go-Go. Well, is not a, currently, actually. Well, okay, well, we'll talk about that. Um, uh, Crepes a Go-Go, and we'll also, uh, and, and we'll talk about whatever else he's doing. But we're also going to, we're also going to be, the second part of the show, we're going to be talking about uh, race relations in the United States. We'll be talking about the, the Jesse Owens, the Jesse Owens, uh, Jesse Owens movie coming out. We'll be talking about Black History Month, which is this month of February. We'll be talking about white privilege and the N-word. So, please stay tuned for all that, and we want to welcome to the show... Christopher Bennett. How are you? Thanks. Thanks for having me. So great to have you. You have you were here when we had your buddy Greg Strawstreet Stroll on, mm-hmm. and and <laughs> and we miss him, and we're so glad that him and, and him and Jen are here tonight, and and his uh, his business partner Steph is here, and you're here, and, and and it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't all for Mariah Weiss. We got to thank her too and give Absolutely. her a big shout out uh, for putting uh, for putting us all together. Uh, in this in this wonderful family we call uh, the topic of conversation, we, you know, thank you for being here during Black History Month, and sure. I have to introduce you as my first black guest. Sure. And um, can I, uh, real quick? Yeah. Let me just like get it out of the way now. Yeah. I I complete. We all need to recognize how cliche it is to have the first black guy here. Thank you. In Black History Month. Right. So, so I know that people are going to no. say that. Yeah. And people are going to think that. So I just want everybody to know that we know that too, and we recognize it. That's why we did it. And, okay. Right. And and and, the, and he is he is no <laughs> we we know we know you don't you don't need it's okay it's okay yeah we know we got members and 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 we knew he knew I was going to introduce him as my first black guest and I, my first yeah. question to you is why do I have to say that why is why I I didn't say my first female guest uh, Laura Links Murphy I didn't say my first my first you know owner you know, small business owner Greg I didn't say my first you know uh, Pulitzer Prize winner Lou. Why do I have to say first black guest? I didn't mm-hmm. want to. We did it because we knew it was, we wanted to. We, you and I talked about it. Right. This. Well, I say this half in jest but half seriously. Yeah. Is that black people are just really interesting. But you are. Like, like <laughs> you'll be like, like, and like, there it is. If you, like you say our first black uh, guest and people are like, ooh, I got to go check that out. Like, you know, yeah. oh, when does it air? Like, you know, yeah. like, oh, it's the first one? Like, yeah. Yeah. People are just ooh. like ears perk up and, yeah. Especially Owen, they're talking about race. I'm gonna have to tune in twice. Yeah. yeah. First black guy on the moon did not do the moonwalk. Did you notice? Uh, he did not. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was a uh, kind like, of a letdown. Like letdown. I was like, oh yeah. man. But no, we do use that term in our culture a lot. We do. I don't think we use it. And I have to ask you this because you'll know better than I do. We don't say first Asian. We don't say first uh, Mexican. We don't say first Hispanic. We we do use the term first I black. I think they do. Where did that come from? Well. I think that they do say that. Yeah. It's just oh, that it's okay. not as widely like Asian people know when it's right. the first Asian person, and like the Hispanic community knows when it's the first Hispanic person. Mm. It's just that seems like the whole nation seems to lock in more when it's because there's been a lot yeah. more friction involved sure. in 
and black people. So when there's like and, and white and black relations. So when there's the first black anything, then it seems to be notable, especially since it's been so widely publicized worldwide that a lot of black people have been held back from certain accomplishments. Sure. So when they finally break through that barrier, then it's like a lot more of a an awe-inspiring accomplishment right. versus somebody else who hasn't gone through maybe as much adversity. I agree. I, and I, I concur with you on that one. And, and, and the thing is that, that, that bothers me about the whole title is that who cares? Right. I mean, well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being a jerk. I no, just, no, no. I, I get mean, it. You're a man. She's a, I mean, a black man, a black woman. Good for them. They did it. Sure. Good for them. And the problem is, is that the who cares thing is like how the word world should be. Yeah. But we're not in that world right now. No. So unfortunately, a lot of people do care. Right. And a lot of people do take note to specific situations like this. So <laughs> as much as it, as much as like, if it were a, we are the world, everybody is equal everybody is even thing, then it, nobody would care. Right. And I, I would just be, you're a hip-hop guest, and, we're gonna, and we would just be talking about my music, and we'd be talking about the culinary world and all that stuff all night, and the race thing wouldn't even be that much of a push-button topic. But it is, and it is. I'm here for that reason. Right. So. And, and the thing is, we talked about this. And yeah. like you said, it is cliche to say that. On, it is Black History Month in the United States of America. You are my first black guest. Um, and it is... And, and, out of in your number twenty nine, third season number twenty nine. Not that we haven't tried to get another black guest, we we just haven't. Do just, I get a plaque on the you wall? You do. Actually, we're doing that. That's dope. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. do that somewhere in the corner. Sweet. Yeah, <laughs> I was kidding. That'll no, be the most rhythmic corner in this. We, no, you you know you know you're awesome. So we're, <laughs> but we knew we, you knew that was gonna be a cliche thing to do, of and course. we and we knew it. And yeah. okay, so back to back to business. I have to ask this straight up, and mm-hmm. and you know these you know some of these questions were coming about mm-hmm. your life. You are from where? I am. I was born in Park Hill, and I grew up in Littleton. Okay. Explain to the explain to the general public because, as you know, we're listened to all over the world. Explain what Park Hill is to to the to just to the and a lot of people here in the audience aren't from Colorado either. I'm not right. from Colorado. Explain the kind of dichotomy and the, and the lifestyle and the and the social economic background of Park Hill. Okay, so Park Hill is like, um, I guess it would be classified as urban now. Um. And it was, at the time when I was born, it was a lot of middle class and lower middle class black families primarily that lived in that part of town. Now, let me interrupt you just for a second, because some people have asked me this. Does urban mean black? Um, No. Okay. Urban means the city. Okay. White people a lot of times use it as code word for black. (laughs) (laughs) Like... There's a few. There's I'm living a few, in the urban area. Oh. Yeah. There's a new. There's a new you live couple code them. words, and that is one of them. Uh, so urban doesn't mean black. No, it but does to not. white folks it might. Yes. Okay. It, to, to white folks it means there's going to be a lot more black people around you than you might be prepared for. Okay. And then in your in your world, urban means city. City. Yeah, city. Like the proper definition of the word. All right. So you you are saying that. Park Hill mm-hmm. is middle, middle, upper middle class black folks. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, some nice place some places. Nice place some to places. Well, sure. Some places and certain parts, just like in every other city, you could literally go a little bit, lo- a little bit down the street, and it's a little less savory. Um, and actually, there around the, in the early '80s, yeah. there was a lot of gang activity in that area. Which is why I ended up in Littleton, right? Because my parents. my parents were like, "We're not gonna, we don't want our kid to be raised with any p- 
possible influences. Like they knew that it, it, they knew that they if they did a good enough job, it wouldn't have happened any, either way. But it's easier to explain to somebody the downsides of certain things when they're removed from the environment first. Now, and, and Littleton's pretty white, isn't it? Extremely. Yeah. I mean, and if people, people who are listening around the world in, in the United States, Littleton is where Columbine is. If you're, yeah. not, if you're familiar with Columbine right. High School, is that where you went? No, I went to Heritage. Okay. I was, our, our school was the closest one when Columbine happened. We actually got a lot of those, those kids, kids to... How old are you? I'm 33. So how old were you? I believe I was in like, I was either a junior or a senior in high school. In high school and mm-hmm. Columbine happened. Yeah. Okay. So that's been, it was in 99, I believe. Yeah. yeah so I was yeah, a almost, junior. Almost, almost 20 years. My yeah. God. So, okay. So you, you grew up in Park Hill in the urban area. I and grew then, up in Littleton. I mean, Littleton, I know. And then, uh-huh. and then we moved to Littleton. Yeah. So a little bit different, a little bit different lifestyle out there for you. Yeah, extremely. So, you know, kind of, would you say you have more white friends than black friends? Oh, definitely. Like no when every school that I've been in, I was one of a handful of, like in high school at Heritage, I believe there was maybe, at the time of my graduation, there may have been 14 blacks out of 1,800 students. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And would you say more Hispanic? Um, I would say maybe 30. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. not even a not even percentage. No. Not even a dot. Huh. No. And were you the only black male in your high school uh, graduating class? Um, no, I was not. There was, I want to say there was two of us, two or three. And have you always been a rapper? Has that always been in your blood? Has that always been something to release yourself? No, not until junior year in high school. Okay. I was more of a singer before that. Ooh. Like are we, uh, operatic or? No, we, like we... R&B type stuff. Okay. I mean, I was, I was in choirs when I was younger. I was in a couple gospel choirs too. And then I got into hip hop. Like I've always been in, into hip hop. Mm-hmm. My dad got me into it when I was very, very little, but... Um, so gospel as, music was important to you? Uh, a little bit. Okay, but not... Yeah. So boys to men type of crooning, yes. that was yes. the type that of was stuff you did? That was right you did. There. Yeah. So the end of the road, mm-hmm. right? The, the, whole, the whole concept of, of, of why you're here is because you've been so gracious to open your life to us. Uh, is it... And this isn't a tough question to ask, but is it easier to be black in Colorado than, let's say, Alabama? I can't say for sure because I haven't been black in Alabama. Um, I've. I knew that was coming. I wanted it. I wanted it. <laughs> I mean, I do have. I I did have relatives, and I've been there once, but I was like nine. Okay. Um. So I mean, I. I would say that as far as what from what I know about Colorado versus the South, I would say that I have received a substantial amount less racism and prejudice here, here than I probably would have down there. Yeah. Your, your title, I mean, I've heard you rap, and mm-hmm. it's great. It is wonderful. It is a message. When I was growing up, I'm older than you mm-hmm. uh, by about 10 years. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I grew up, I, I like the, okay, so when I was growing up, you know, Will Smith, you uh-huh. know, Fresh Prince of Bel, you know, Fresh Prince and, and um, and Jazzy Jeff, uh-huh. Houdini, uh-huh. and um, there was one other, very clean, and very, right. they send messages out. Houdini, Houdini and Will Smith were probably the two biggest that were you right. know, sending out messages, good messages, fun messages, fun dancing, good stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do you know any others that were like that? Who are your influences? I mean, were, were those two guys, do you, do you know those guys? I mean, obviously Will uh, yeah, Smith. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm aware of all, like I'm a huge hip-hop head, so okay. I'm, I'm aware of 
everything from like 79 on through current. Okay. Um, who do you admire? I mean, is it Houdini? Is it, is it Will Smith? It could be somebody else I don't know. It's a lot of people that you don't know. Okay. Share. Um, no, share. No, I mean, I mean and, and the thing is, is Justin that, Timberlake? No, no definitely not. I'm um, kidding. <laughs> uh, the thing is, is that a lot of the, the MCs that I admire are not clean per se. Yeah. They, they rap with, like a lot of them do have positive messages, not all of them. Some of them I admire for their production quality yeah. more so than their lyricism. But, um, for example, there's Tribe Called Quest out in the oh, East Coast. Oh, yeah. yeah. I admire them great, a great yeah. deal. PM Dawn? Um, no, not so much. Okay. Um, De La Soul. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Far Side, which is out in Cal- they're they're from California. Um, also, DJ Quick from California, who's more of a gangster rapper. But his production style, I... I I hugely admire Outcast down south from the south. Um, huge. I mean, and even though the Sugar Hill Gang was like the first boy band of hip hop and they didn't begin organically, their impact, like my dad used to play Rapper's Delight when I was in the crib. So by the time I was like six, I knew. <laughs> Don't, yeah. Uh, I, I knew the words by heart, like the, in the entire 16 minute version. Uh, we can, don't have enough time for that. Can you give it? Can you? Well, I, we're, we're going to have him. We're going to have him rap one of his songs in a minute. We're going to play one of his songs as well. But first of all, can you give us a little bit of a rap that you liked, whether it's clean or dirty? We don't care. We're not. We're 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 not FCC related, so you can say and speak whatever you want. <laughs> oh, can you give us a little bit of taste of something that you really enjoyed? Let's say when you were a junior in high school and you were getting influenced by this world of. Of, of gangster rap and rap. Can you give us a little, a little taste of, of, of a rap that you would sit in your room and after going to high school and you're like, I want to sing this? And what, what hit you? Hmm, let's see. Uh, none but a G thing was like huge mm-hmm. when I was in. And I used to have to like hide that I had that tape. This is back when I still had tapes, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And so says, like, sure. yeah, I used to have to mm-hmm. hide that tape. And when I, I would learn all the lyrics, and so then when I would get re- I would listen to it while I was getting ready in the morning, and I knew when all the curse words were. And so I would have my stereo in the bathroom, and while I was getting ready, as soon as I knew a curse word would come, I'd turn the, music, the, the volume down and then turn it back up. And so I was like... Was your, was your stereo plugged in or batteries? It was, it was plugged in in oh, the bathroom please. at the time. Come on, I mean, you're taking a shower and you get shocked. No, nah, dog, it was like, <laughs> hey, look, this, is, this is Littleton, so oh, the bathroom right, was yeah. big. Like, <laughs> but, Good point. Yeah, like I had a counter. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was good. Can you give us a little taste? A little, uh, little something? All right, let's see. One, two, three, and to the foe. Snoop Doggy Dog and not the drag is at the dough. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Because you know I'm about to rip shit up. Give it a microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Long Beach together. Now you know you in trouble because ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Two loked out niggas going crazy. Death Row is a label that pays, man. Unfadeable, so please don't try to fade this. Now, of course. And what's a G thing? A G thing is like, it's like. It's a very white question. So. It is a very white question. <laughs> I thought I'd prepared myself for most questions that I would get. Well, I tried to. I mean, we talked. Right. We oh, talked. yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a G thing is like a gangster thing. Like okay. it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like a white thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a a W different. thing. <laughs> So obviously that that the that lyricism yeah. is not in line with how I present myself. Yeah. However, 
at the time, it was still something that was very new and groundbreaking. And so, plus the production style was so funky and stuff that I just, I didn't care about the message as much as I just enjoyed the, the music of it. And Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Dre are, are infamously, Absolutely. infamously great writers and producers. I mean, Absolutely. wonderful, wonderful lyrics, lyrics that, that, that do, that, that, that say things that need to be said. Sure. And people listen. Speaking of that, you know, uh, Straight Outta Compton came out uh, uh-huh. last year. I just watched that. It's yesterday. got a got a couple of, got a couple of uh, uh, award nods. Mm-hmm. Hasn't won anything yet. Nope. But uh, and of course, it won't win an Oscar because it didn't no, get no. one. But um, a huge, huge box office. No one. I mean, I don't even think Ice Cube thought it was going to do as well as it did. And I know Dr. Dre didn't. Mm-hmm. So, what what do you think it was that 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 we all grew up with it? That we all grew up with NWA and. And we all grew up with... Um, Partially, because I remember when I was watching it in the theaters, I had more of a connection to it than I'd have with other biopics. Yeah. Because um, up until this point, almost everybody that they do a biopic on grew up in like the 30s or the 40s or the 50s, you know? And so I have no connection to that. I have connection to their music, my parents, you know, through my parents and all that stuff. But as far as like living through the events that these people, I have no idea. But with... So this NWA movie was the first movie where I was watching it and like there are things going on about the Rodney King trial and I remember that and the riots and I remember that and watching them on a tour bus and they're going past people like stomping on their CDs and stuff and I remember footage of that and Tom Brokaw talking about how horrible they are and I remember all of that so it had a closer connection to me so I think that for anybody who's my age or maybe a couple years younger and and a few years older they have more of a connection to that. So, and, and, and it's partially that. And it's also that I've just noticed that in the country in general, every couple of years, there seems to be like a, a black movie that just white people tend to, tend to latch onto for yeah. some reason and like find it really intriguing. And some of them make sense. Some of them I kind of scratch my head on. There's a, there's are you, a are you talking about like, uh, like the blind side? No, Michael not Moore? even, you, no, no. Like, are you talking about I understand even heavy than that? I, yeah, like there's a movie that like came help? out called... The Help? No, no I'm okay. not even talking about not like talking about racial movies. Okay. I'm talking about like black movies. Like when With Hustle... There was a movie that came out called Hustle and Flow. Sure. Yes. Oh, yeah. Hustle Great and Flow. Yeah. So that movie, that one had me scratching my head because that was like, it was about a rapper and he was like a pimp at the time who became a rapper and there was, you know, I figured when I went to that and I saw it in the theater, I was going to be surrounded by other black people. And I went into the theater and there was nothing. I, not only was I the youngest person in the theater, I was the only black person. It was literally 14 old white women in the theater. <laughs> I had to walk out and look at the sign to make sure I was still in the right theater <laughs> because like... It was, I was seriously surprised. Sure. And then during, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the movie, there's parts where they're coming up with a song and it's like, and the song is called Whoop That Trick. And so like, they're like singing it and they're like chanting, Whoop That Trick. And I'm looking around and these old white ladies are like bobbing their heads and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, what? Is this the Twilight Zone? Like what is, and I could not figure, and then, and then, the song, the main song of the movie was called It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. And somehow that won a Grammy of all the like hip hop songs with positive messages and yeah. stuff. Three Six Mafia comes out with a song called uh, It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. And it that song it. gets a Grammy. Yeah. I was, I couldn't, I, I to, this day, 
to this day, I cannot figure it out. Because of the success of NWA's movie, uh-huh. are we going to see a Public Enemy movie? Do you think that's next? No. 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 And why not? Is um, it because Flavor Flav is just not that entertaining? I, I think the world is Flavor Flaved out. Okay. We, we're done with it. He's him. made himself such a spectacle yeah. that I personally am not really that interested. And I think that even though they had a huge impact on the hip-hop community, mm-hmm. I just don't think that a lot of people care as much because they weren't as controversial. No, you know, not. like they were, they had their, they had their... But they weren't Will Smith. And they no, weren't not at all. No, no, they no, 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 not at all. Like they, they were... They weren't PM Don. There were a lot more, uh, there were a lot more activists than anything. But uh, they, they kind of went, they, they were... They were received by a certain group of people, yeah. and the rest of America couldn't really care less. Right. So they weren't causing the huge wave of problems like NWA was. Like they weren't in the news for the FBI telling them that they couldn't perform certain songs and doing it and being charged with inciting a riot right. and stuff. So like NWA, when they came out, like they were just causing such a ruckus that it spread like the word of them spread throughout the country to where it was a big deal and public enemy just never really had that kind of buzz positive or negative was favor flav good for the black culture or has he put it back a little bit um i don't think it's possible for one person to put the culture forward or back okay i would say that he has he has kind of become a a minstrel version of himself like i think that he He's gotten to the point in his life where he can make fun of himself and he just doesn't give a shit. Right, because he's, he's like 60 years old. Right, so he can, like, he can literally be a caricature of himself yeah. and have people know that people are laughing about, like, at him, but he doesn't care because as far as he's concerned, he, they got to pay him to laugh at him, basically. Like, if he's, if he's on reality TV or whatever and he's making a fool out of himself, at the end of the day, regardless what people say about him, he's getting paid to do that. Like he's getting paid to be there, you know. So. You know, Ice Cube, Ice Cube, Ice T. Um, you know, Will Smith was Fresh Prince. They all have nicknames. Your nickname is Three Two. Yes, and it's it's the three letter three, uh-huh. and then spelled out T W O. Correct. Explain. Uh, real simple. My initials are the third and third and the second letter in the alphabet, and so Chris Bennett. Yes. C B. C B. Okay. So that it was literally like me and my best friend when we were trying to fit we were brainstorming in 10th grade on what my name would be and i had like we had gone to school and we had pages of just potential rap names for me top to bottom of what they could possibly be and none of them sounded right and then we were just hanging out in the basement one day and my boy was like my my boy jared he was like i got it three two and i was like okay well what is that he's like your initials the third and second letter in the alphabet. I was C like, being the third and yeah. D being the second. And I was like, that is, that's, hell yeah. yeah. And, then, and then I was just like, and then I can spell it like with the three and then the T-W-O. And he's like, perfect. Yeah. And so we just I thought it, it was because you bought your beer at grocery stores. That's what everybody, that's I like mean, the number I one guess. I think that's guess. what everybody thought. And I, that's like, what I think. That's pretty cool. The number one <laughs> guess is 3-2 three, three beer. beer. Yeah. The second guess is if it's gang related. Yeah. Well, okay. I have yeah. a lot of, I've had a lot of well, gang how members. How would that be gang related? Because uh, there's uh, a gang called Trey Deuce. Oh. There's, yes. And so that's like... So that sounds Hispanic. So um, I've had a lot of gang members come up and be like, yo, what's up with that on your neck? Like, is that you representing? Like, like one guy came up yeah. to me 
and was like, yo, bro, I see the tattoo. Like, what's up, family? And I was like, no, 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 no. It's not. <laughs> and he was like, no. I was like, no, it's my name. Like, he was like, yeah, me too, bro. And he like <laughs> takes off. He's got like a 3 2 tattoo on his uh-huh. arm. And he's like, yeah, trade roots, bro. And I was like, no, 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 no. And do I you ever, explained Do you, you ever just dive out of it and say it's beer? I mean, just like, no, I know. no, absolutely not. Okay. I do not. I'm not. That is, that <laughs> a, a, I don't drink alcohol, period. That's true, you don't. And he's so, drinking orange juice, right? Right. Now. So it would yeah. be ridiculous for me to name myself after something that I have nothing to do with. Why clean? Why did you go clean? It's a lot harder. I mean, isn't it hard? It's, no. no, but it's good. You, I've, I've listened to your stuff. It's uh-huh. good. It's good stuff. Yes. And it has a message, too. It's not just, you know, you're not just bluffing it. Right. It's a good message. You're not just talking about, you know, dancing on the beach. Uh-huh. You are telling a message. Why clean? Why did you go clean? Why did um, you decide? Because... And do you call it that? Am I, am I, mis- I don't. I just, what do I you just say it? I'm an MC. MC. I don't, right. I don't classify Master it as ceremony, clean because yeah. if I don't say anything, people don't notice. Like, they just... Really? They... The people that notice are the people that are the exact same people that I rap clean for. Meaning, I remember when I was, so the thing that sparked it, when I was in eighth grade, I had a teacher and we would play, sometimes she would let us play music when we had like group projects going on in class or whatever. So we got to play, uh, take turns bringing in music to the stereo. And her rule was, if there's any vulgarity or N-bombs, it's out. Okay. And so then I noticed that when some of the white kids would come and they'd bring like heavy metal or whatever. There would be some expletives in there, but the teacher, because it was a, a genre that she liked, she would look past it or not even notice it. But if it was a hip hop song, the moment the first syllable came out, it was like, it's out. Done. And I've noticed that my mom, when I would try to play her stuff that I listened to or what have you, like the, the message wasn't as important because as soon as she heard an expletive, she tuned it out as not being... Were you allowed to express your black heritage at your high school that was very white? Um, Did they allow you to do that? Because, I mean, that was back in the 90s, right? Right. Where they really were kind of on the bubble on that. Did they let you do that or did they say, no, Chris, you gotta, you well, gotta be cool? I mean, I guess in any way that I w- thought of, I didn't, I didn't have any opposition. Like, I, nobody told me I couldn't wear a high top fade or... Be yourself. Yeah, yeah. rock yeah. one strap off my overalls and stuff like that. Was was your mother strict about your life? <laughs> that just hit. That just hit me. Hey, did did your mother? Was your mother strict on language? Um, she. My parents tried to be. I was very sneaky about your it. Your father's gone, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, they tried. To, my dad was a lot more lenient about it because I think my dad understood hip hop better okay. than my mom did. Sure. But um. So what happened is I started seeing with various audiences, not just with family, but a lot of people, there's a negative stigma that comes with hip hop. And a lot of people, this is, uh, um, unfortunately, they think that gangster rap is rap yeah. instead of thinking that it's a subgenre. It's a part of rap. So a lot of people assume that when they're hearing hip hop, that it's automatically going to be negative. It's automatically going to be vulgar. And even if it's a song that has a positive message, if there's expletives in it, a lot of people find that as their reason to discount it as invalid and they tune out. So when I started writing rhymes, I would notice that when I was performing songs, you could hear or you could see the look on people's faces like they were listening for it. And the next thing you know, the song's over and you've heard, listen to my entire song. And then you, you see it, you could, I could literally see it happen in people's faces where they would be like, oh my gosh, I just, 
I just listened to that whole song. You know what? It wasn't. I like that. Yeah. And I had. I've had so many people. I started doing open mics in um, Montpelier, Vermont, when I was in culinary school, and I had all these old white hippies coming up to me saying, "If if all hip hop was like that, I would be converted." Wow. And so that's why I don't put it. Is so that my message can be heard by more people without without the barrier. Do you think your mom was strict about language because? Because gangster rap is is kind of derogatory towards black women. It's not that nice to them. Yeah, right. Do you think she is like, no, Chris, I want you to go over here. Don't go over here. You know, was to be that... honest, I don't think that she even thought that deep about it. Okay. I don't think that she knew enough about it yeah. to know how derogatory it was as much as it was just like, there's bad words in it. And a lot of the hip hop, the gangster rap culture mimicked gang culture which was part of why they took me out of Park Hill in the first place because they didn't want me to be influenced by so I think that for for her more so is like she just didn't want me to be influenced enough to where I might think that gang life was cool and, and we are sorry she could make it tonight we're, right. we're, we're, we're very sorry she'll she be listening to this so. the the other thing uh, before before that you cook yes you cook very but well before we talk about cooking we're going to play one of your songs okay, okay? we'll be right back we're gonna take it back to like 1993. So get your puffy coats on. Let's get on the street corner. It's time to cipher right now. So just, uh, turn your volume up halfway high and just rock with it. Or just rock with it. Turn your volume up halfway high. Then reach for the sky when you feel it. Turn it up like. Cause I said that just ain't no comparison. The funny, goofy, serious guy The brown skin, silver tongue, angel with a gleam in my eye Blew up the speakers worse than Bin Laden So call me G.I. Joe Blow A marriage ain't player, cause I'll make you hot The Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston comforter But I'm shy With only verse spit so beautifully that I'll make you cry I be so jazzed, tap your feet I know we know where to hide Eventually need to color break I think I'll just let it ride I made it back before we hit the refrain The biggest plan is out my back and going against the grain Sometimes to be an individual, it is such a strength But don't complain, take the other's losses, making me gain I know they're about to say three, two, he switches these on this track I can do that, dropping bombs like Bush did on a rack Cause while these fools are out there partying and sipping on yak I'm in the studio finding different ways to blow out your back And no comparison I said that just ain't no comparison I don't know who you think I'm trying to be, but I'm not the human think I may perceive me to be. Even misdirected, misprojected visions of me. I'm one of the only ones I've ever made free. Uh. Now I'ma take some bars to say what I ain't. I'm not a drug dealer, a killer, definitely not a saint. I'm only human, just like you. My hustle pumps red paint, but still my aura is unique. I'm impossible to tame. I only make my money legally. I say that with pride. Try to stay a humble person, keeping God as my God. Ain't got a wifey right here with me, sitting right at my side. But hey, I'm cool with that, cause hip hop she is my only ride. If I didn't have to work, I'd write until I ran out of ink. Think I'm foolish and high player, if that's what you think. Sometimes my words are like voodoo, making the ego shrink. Sometimes I like an effort. Easy, I 
ain't making ladies wink Got everything up in my bag of chicks with the kitchen sink You're trying to keep an eye on me, I'm faster, don't even blink Cause I'm a Nazca, I will not tell you straight up that you sting I'll say goodbye and thanks for playing, you are the weakest link And no comparison Great song. Great song. Thanks. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, good message, all that good stuff. You cook. Yes. You cook well. I do. Cook I have well. eaten your cooking. I've you haven't like that doesn't go-go. even count. I, mean, I know, but it was count. it was just it was a nice it was good. And I know it's a you know a cart or well, well I mean, a food first cart. and foremost, I'm not an owner of that. Like I'm kind of I was at one time. I no longer am, and I don't really work there very often. Okay. Anymore. So that's so when you but when you when you had that, that was like a pinky nails worth of what you can do. What I can actually do. Like I don't even classify that as you having had my food at all. You went to culinary school. Long time ago. I mean, a long time ago in New England, correct? Yes, in, in Vermont. Yeah. Was it interesting being up there? I mean, I talk about white. Yes. Good Lord, that's ashy white. Funny story. <laughs> Hilarious story. When I was in culinary, one day I was walking down the street, just walking down the street. It was in the middle of a snowstorm. I'm walking down the street and this Subaru pulls up beside me and this hippie gets out and he's like, man, I just, this is going to sound weird. But can I just shake your hand? And I was like, okay. He's like, you don't understand like how how awesome it is to see like some color in this area. He's like, I he was like, I I just moved back here. I'm from here. He's like, I'm from here. And me and my wife just had a baby. And we we used to live in New York and we just drove back. And halfway home, halfway here, we were like, I can't believe we're about to raise our baby in this white ass state. And then I, I saw you, man. I saw you, and it was just like a breath of fresh air. I know it's weird. I know, I know you can't really make anything of this, but if I could just shake your hand, that is so awesome. Wow. Yeah. Boy, if Instagram was alive back then, right? Right. And then <laughs> what? And then uh, I had a couple friends who were dishwashers Vermont, for the school. Vermont. Yes, in yeah. Vermont. I had a couple friends who what were dishwashers for the school. Montpelier. Montpelier. Oh yeah. Um. And I, a couple of my friends who were dishwashers at the school. And one time we, were, we hung out and we were walking around town and they were talking about this girl that they liked. And so we were getting close to the girl's house. And they're like, oh, okay, um, let, let's go up and say hi to her real quick. And I was like, all right, cool. And, I, and they're like, no, you're staying here. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, no, if she sees you, neither one of us is going to have a chance. Because like, you were that good looking? Yeah, I guess so. And like, and because black guys apparently are so like pretty much the student body of Neki, however many are in the student student body, is the black population of Montpelier at the time. Okay. So like, a lot of townies up in that area, like they just don't have experience with black guys. Period. Yeah. Being around them at all. Mm-hmm. So apparently they were so worried about me being a novelty that they just didn't even want to. So the que- the question that that is, is on everybody's lips right now. How does a guy from Littleton, Colorado, end up in culinary school in Vermont? Uh, it was the second-rated culinary school in the country at the time. There you go. And so my dad knew how serious cooking was to me. So my sophomore year in high school, because I knew that I wanted to be a chef since 
elementary school pretty much. So we took a tour of the top three campuses in the country. And one of them was Johnson & Wales in Providence, Rhode Island. One of them was Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. And then there was New England Culinary Institute. So after visiting all of those campuses and looking at their curriculum and how they taught, I, I figured that the best one for me was to go to Negi, and so that's how I went up. I'm from Virginia, Richmond, Virginia. My folks are from Georgia. I love the soul food. Uh -huh. I love the soul food. Do you cook that? I do. And explain to the general public what soul food is. Soul food is basically, so during slavery, during slavery times, the big house where Master lived, uh, they would, when they were butchering the pigs and all that stuff, they would keep all the nice cuts for themselves and they would keep all the good greens and all the good vegetables and all that stuff for themselves. And then they would pass... The slaves. Yes. Yeah. No, so the, the, the white people... The white folks. Yes, okay. the yeah. white folks. They would keep all the good cuts and all that for themselves. So then the scraps and the parts that they felt were inedible, they would pass to their slaves. So then the slaves, you know, of course, if you're fed a bunch of crap but it's your only source of nourishment, the best thing you can do is try to make it taste good. Mm -hmm. So then it, they just developed a flavor of making these scraps taste good. And that's what soul food has grown to be. And that's where pig's feet and chicken feet exactly. and all the other stuff come from. And mm -hmm. it's delicious. It's yeah. good stuff. Mm -hmm. When we come back from break, uh, Christopher Bennett's going to share um, some race things that go on in the world in the United States. We're going to talk about Jesse Owens' movie called Race. We'll be talking about Black History Month. We'll be talking... Um, about um, white privilege and the N-word. We'll be right back after the break. Thanks. Consider joining the Denver Press Club, which offers a relaxing atmosphere of camaraderie and creativity and serves as the hub for Denver's media, public relations, and communications community. It's the nation's oldest press club, with the first organized meeting held in 1867 and with the club making its home at 1330 Glenarm Place since 1925. Please visit our website at denverpressclub.org to find out all the great things that are happening throughout the week, month, and year. We're open Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Come by and see us. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, just want to remind you that Zing Tea is the official drink of the topic of conversation. Anytime you are here on a Wednesday night for the show, have a Zing on me. The Zing Tea of the month is green tea and mango. Just ask Jennifer or Jason, our bartenders, for a Zing tea, and it's on me. If you add any spirits to it, it's not on me. you got to pay for the spirits. But if you want a Zing tea and try it for free, go right ahead if you're a member of the audience. And if you're here any Wednesday night, have a Zing tea on me. We'd love to have you here. Don't forget to come to the Denver Press Club every Wednesday night. And if you are here, have a Zing tea on me. We want to thank the Laban brothers over at New Age Beverage for being a big part of this show and helping us with Zing tea. We hope they're going to be here next week. So anytime you're here Wednesday night, ask Jennifer or Jason for a Zing tea on me. Me, you, and Zing tea. We are back, folks. This is the Topic of Conversation. I am your host, Rob Scoggins, and we have our great guest. He has had a wonderful life up to now, and he's still moving forward with his life. He has uh, gone to culinary school and became a chef, and he cooks amazing French food. But like, I, like he told me, or the restaurant I, or the, 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 the cart or the restaurant I went to where he was cooking is just a little taste of what he can do. He is a wonderful rapper. You can Google him right now. It is 32, uh, the number three, TWO. He's on SoundCloud as The Real 32. The Real 32. 
and of course he has been uh, his he's been all over the city. He goes to open mic nights all the time, so you might be able to find him um, one of these nights. So just Google the real uh, three two and and have some fun with Christopher Bennett on one of those nights. We want to welcome everybody back here at the Denver Press Club right here live in the Denver Press Club who are here, and of course everybody listening around the country and around the world. Thank you so much for tuning in. This part of the show, we, uh, Chris has agreed uh, to uh, talk a little bit more uh, about race. And with, the, with it being Black History Month in the United States and this wonderful film uh, that I have already uh, sneak peeked called Race, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but the Jesse Owens story. Jesse Owens uh, took a, a, leap of, a leap of faith, really, and also a leap into history books, into going to the Olympics during the Hitler reign in 19, uh, I believe, 32 or 34, somewhere in there. The movie is called Race. One reason, because it has to deal with race. And number two is Jesse Owens raced uh, for, uh, for the gold medals, and he won an uh, astonishing amount of gold medals back then. Does Black History Month to you, it, it, not just being in Colorado, but does Black History Month to you, what do you do for it? I mean, what do you, uh, how do you help the cause? A lot of dancing. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, sure. No. Um, <laughs> Chris, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> uh, it's, it's kind of a time to uh, take a, a minute and appreciate black accomplishments that don't necessarily get um, the proper airtime any, yeah. any other time, you know? Can you mention a few that you think that need some some national props or props? Well, um, I would say, for example, like a lot of the stuff that we use every single day. Yeah. And pardon me, because I don't know their exact names, I know, but I know that, for example, the stoplight was invented by a black man. Yes. The air conditioner yes. was invented by a black man. Peanut butter. Peanut butter as well, yes. Yep. And um, accomplishments like my, my grandfather, for example, was a Tuskegee Airman. And uh, so some of the first black fighter pilots uh, in, the, in the country during World War II. And a lot of people, like a lot of times when you're in the regular school system, you're taught about history. And when it comes to black history, it, it's like you hear about, you learn about Martin Luther King, possibly Harriet Tubman, yeah. and then like Rosa Parks, and then it's time to move on to a new unit. Yeah. And... Um, the topic has been brought up quite often by various races, especially a lot of white people, about like, well, what if we had White History Month? Like, uh, why do we need Black History Month? What if we had a White History Month? And the fact is that uh, most of, most months are White History Month. Like, if you, yeah, I mean, especially in high school, right? So, I yeah. mean, if you if you go and you look at your curriculum your average high school curriculum for your history class and you think about all the accomplishments that you learn you learn about like the renaissance area and a lot of european stuff a lot of italian stuff french english irish come over here settlers pilgrims christopher columbus da da da, da. but yeah so the um, the majority of accomplishments that you're taught from the beginning of the school year to the end, primarily are about white people. White Irish Catholics. Right. Like. <laughs> so the fact of the matter is, is that if we as a country were able to di- diversify uh, the, the, his, the history classes and you didn't have to take a specific course to learn about black history or 
be like that one black kid that everybody turns their head to when Black History Month starts. Um, Christ? If it, it, yeah. If, it was, if, if we became to where it was just said, like, if, if history was told chronologically in the, in the classrooms, then it would just end up being black history interwoven into all of it, and then we wouldn't need a black history month. But the problem is, is that it's so segregated because it has to be, because that's the only way that our accomplishments are a lot of times going to even be noted at all. Are you mad it's the shortest month? Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, what is three more days? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're right. What is three more days? The, the thing to me, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Uh-huh. Uh, city of Richmond's 80% black. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't see black. I, I grew up, it was, it was, it was every day. The, the middle school I went to was more black than white. I was the white guy. Mm-hmm. And um, we're, we're getting there, kiddo. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> um, <laughs> Executive producer Mara Weiss comes over here and says, mm-hmm. get to this. I was like, we're getting there. Yeah, it I, takes time. I, I we'll, get there, we'll get there. We'll get there. But I grew up, and, I, and you know, Luther and Dexter, and these guys were my buddies. I mean, mm-hmm. I, played, I played baseball with them. Right. They, they were wonderful guys. I didn't see it. And, and, Lu, and Marcus Mitchell is still a good friend of mine. And I just, I, I don't have that many white friends, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. until I got to Colorado. Right. Um, and, and then, of course, my, my background is also, my family's from Georgia as well. But the, the thing for Black History Month, to me, as being a white male, is, is you showing the honor and everything that your, the culture of black culture has done for the United States mm-hmm. and has given to the United States. And, and, and every year, it seems like Hollywood is getting into this, too, mm-hmm. by, by pumping out a, a movie. You right. know, we, had, we, had 20, we had 42, you know, Jackie mm-hmm. Robinson story. Now we're having Jesse Owens story. Right. Uh, NWA could be part of that, you know. All these, all these wonderful movies. I mean, obviously, we, we had The Help mm-hmm. <laughs> come out. We had um, the, um, the one we already talked about, The Blind Side, and some of these other movies. What, what, is the, what would be the, and, you, know, and I, you know, 10 Years a Slave came out last year. But what would be the most prevalent movie for you or, or a story that you would like to see out there that hasn't been told yet? I mean, what is something that Chris Bennett the, says, this needs to be told, and why hasn't it been told? The story of, I would love to see a story about a black like lawyer or doctor or okay. somebody like that who possibly... I mean, concussion's kind of done that. Sort of. Not, sort of, he's not from our country. Right. He's, and like <laughs> giving back to the community. Here's what a lot of black people are sick of okay. when it comes to those movies. Okay. Is that those, we keep seeing the same kind of movies. And it's actually black people and white people together are both sick of seeing the same kind of movies that we're getting because we're getting a lot of the, uh, like what happened in the past, like white people are evil, so to speak, and black people had to overcome adversity. And while Everybody understands that the message is there and none of these statements are false. When you oversaturate people with that same message, they start to become indifferent. And so when you start with like roots and stuff like that, like I've heard a comedian talk about it and it was like, and he's a white comedian and he was like, you know, when, when roots came out, I was like, oh my gosh, like turn it off. Like I get, holy cow. But then he's like, by the time you you start seeing is like now we're all the way down to like swimming like there was a show or a movie about the first black swim team and yeah. stuff and he's like you know I gotta admit I don't really care yeah you know and it's like when you when you start showing all of those and a lot of from a, from a lot of black people's perspective 
what I've heard is why do we keep having to be either slaves or like the downtrodden? Why can't we have a movie about us be about like be a complete success story and have it be about us being educated and smart and already being on top and helping people around us. Like that's the movie that we would like to see, but we don't see that because all we see is the downtrodden coming from the bottom and having to overcome adversity. And a lot of people have just like, it's, it's becoming redundant and it's losing its potency, the potency of the message because it's becoming so redundant. So, so do you and me need to write Tyler Perry, Oprah and Quentin Tarantino and tell them to get their asses out of their bed? Yes. No, I mean, those are the ones who control those movies. Right. Oprah, Tyler Perry, and Quentin Tarantino. Uh-huh. They, those are the ones who are really... And, and Spike Lee, for some, for some reasons. Right. He hasn't done much lately, but those are the four he that come to mind. He just put out a movie, actually. He did just put out a movie. Uh, they, just, um, they, they come to mind as the ones who, could, who have the power to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the last year was the... Um, um, it was a different title, but it was the Martin Luther King... Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that that did really really well. It was a good it was a good film. Sure, and it spoke and it spoke volumes. Um, it did last speak year. volumes. However, no one saw it. No one saw it because <laughs> because like I was saying, like how the song won. So many people. The song won an Oscar. So many people are thinking to themselves, another Martin Luther King movie. Okay, and it's and it's not even to say that he's not a a significant part of this country's history yeah. because he is and and Black history especially. However, there's so many times that you can, it, it's kind of like if, if a movie franchise gets, like with Spider-Man, they have another reboot coming out. And it's like, how many times are you going to reboot Spider-Man before you, and, I, and I, it's not to say that I'm comparing him to Spider-Man, obviously. Right. Obviously. But I'm just saying like. They do have Spidey sense though. People, people start getting complacent when they're hearing the same message. Now you mentioned that, and we're going we're gonna to change the subject just a few seconds from now, but. I, I want to ask you about this Marvel Comics uh-huh. next this coming this coming sequel this coming series uh-huh. uh, in the in the in the early spring fall um, will introduce a new a new superhero mm-hmm. uh, that has been Black Panther Black Panther oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's an African African guy mm-hmm. his he chooses Black Panther he's a powerful guy with claws <laughs> do you do you like that that, that that's gonna be the first Marvel comic that they I mean first Marvel character that they're gonna push out as the first Black superhero on that series um he's not actually because war machine has been in it well right, war machine sure and i even have a song about war machine you can Do play you really? that song if you want we'll play war um, machine sure yeah can you give us a little bit of war machine um i'm i'm actually thinking about the conversation so i'm that's okay I'm, i might do that later okay we'll do it later um okay but i mean i mean as a as a, a superhero that's like not from the own... states that he's his own right kind of thing i mean war machine is a, is his buddies with iron man uh-huh. so it's not I mean, I, I get it, I, right, and I, right, I totally right. get that. And actually, but I'm not. I'm actually black glad Panther. that they're. I would have been mad if they didn't have a Black Panther movie. Me too. Because he was, he was one of, if not the first, like solo black superhero that doesn't. He's not somebody else's sidekick. Like he's like, like War Machine, yeah. right? Like he is a king of a country. They have their own ecosystem, their own civilization. And he's got a great story. He's got a great origin and he's story. A badass. He is a badass. He doesn't need anybody no. to to help him out of stuff. Uh, he's not one of. He didn't come from tragedy and all that stuff. Like he is a strong person. He comes from a strong background. He is. Uh, he's 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 a very very positive in my opinion. I w- I'm I'm glad that they. So you think Disney Studios and Marvel Comics Studios has got a good thing going with that yeah, with that absolutely. character and will help. Sure, absolutely. Right? Yeah. The, 
when we talk about um, white privilege, uh-huh. and, and I've heard the term all my life, I, I, in your mind, and I know it's important to you, mm-hmm. explain that. Okay. So I've been waiting in your for own this terms, for a while. You know. I've been waiting for this because here's what happens with the words white privilege is that everybody's butthole tightens up. <laughs> because white people get very, very defensive about that term. Sure. Not all white people. Not all white people. A lot of white people. Not that very, lady at the bar. Right. <laughs> a lot of white people get very, very defensive because they misunderstand what it means. Yes. They take it literally. And so they think that, um, that like a lot, of, a lot of white people say, white, white privilege doesn't exist. Like, I just got a ticket the other day. Or white privilege... <laughs> White privilege doesn't, it, like, yeah, that's what they, yeah. I've literally heard those words come out of somebody's, okay. Um, but you weren't arrested. Right. <laughs> you got a ticket. Um, yeah. White privilege doesn't exist. Like, I didn't get the job that I wanted or whatever, you know? And so sure. they, or, or here's the hugest one. White privilege doesn't exist. We have a black president. <laughs> what? Dead serious. Have so, they seen his mama? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, but, and, and that's the thing is, as far as the country goes, if you have two drops in you, you're black. Okay. If you're, if you're visual. Yes. You're black. So, clearing up what white privilege is, is the subtleties that white people in general have an advantage on that, most, that a lot of us don't, minorities don't. For example, being able to walk into a store and shop without being followed okay. and assume that you're going to steal something. I didn't even realize how ingrained it was in me to be accepting of that and know that that was a thing until I went to France. I went to France in November of 2014. Okay. And I remember I was in a grocery store or in a, it was like a kind of like a Rite Aid type of thing, okay. like a Walgreens. So I'm walking around and I realized that I was looking around because I was looking for the person to be following me, waiting for me to steal something. And I realized the irony because I kept looking around and that made me look more conspicuous. <laughs> but like, I actually, and I actually, it, I actually laughed to myself about how funny it was because I was so, and it hit me at that moment that I'm so used to it here that it becomes part of a shopping experience for me. Wow. And so... I know, especially with my size, that I, if I walk into a store and I'm grocery shopping or I'm shopping in general, if it's like a clothing store, what have you, there's going to be somebody straightening pants or checking the snacks on this side or whatever. Like That's just part of the ex- shopping experience for me. Wow. And then walking down the street after work, I'd get off of work in France at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. So it's dark. It's November. I'm walking down and a, a narrow street... And old French lady walks past me, didn't clutch her purse, didn't cross the street, like said hello to me, didn't flinch or anything. And to me, I was like, holy, like, wh- it that, almost made you want to live there, right? Almost. Because yeah. it was like, anytime, like people, and I, sometimes you can even tell when people want to clutch their purse, but they don't want to be perceived as racist. So they don't, but you can see that they're, you can see that they're uneasy about it. And I didn't experience that there. And that was mind-blowing to me. Wow. But, like, so that or 
being the luxury of being well-spoken and not have it surprise people. Mm. If you speak eloquently and um, have a decent vocabulary, then a lot of people will say, oh my gosh, he speaks so well. I can't believe, like, did you hear how well he speaks? Oh, wow. Like, like they're wow. surprised by it. Yeah. And they, they, the term a lot of people use, black and white, is if you're well-spoken, it's you speak, you're speaking white. Wow. Yes. Okay. And it's like, if, if, if John Smith, white guy, does a presentation... Nobody's surprised that he did well in his presentation because he's supposed to. Okay. If he's giving us a, a presentation, he's supposed to be eloquent. If you, got, if you got chosen to present, then that means that they have faith that you're going to do a good job and that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Nobody finishes and goes, wow, I didn't expect him to, to be so eloquent about it. And I didn't expect... But then if... Are they surprised in your cooking too? Yes. Yeah. Um, but then if, if Leroy walks up and he's giving a presentation all of a sudden even if he has the same amount of or more more education than john smith uh more experience than john smith in whatever the topic is if he speaks intelligently people are flabbergasted and they're like oh my gosh that was that was did you hear what he said like i i didn't expect that to be Wow, that was really something. I mean, even when, when Obama was running, yeah. when he was doing speeches, people were like, he's so well-spoken. It's like, he yeah. went to Harvard. What do you expect? You, he's really, <laughs> you know? So, um, Columbia Law School, yeah. Right. So things like that. Or I've, I've seen various interviews and conversations where, for example, people who own companies would say, if I see a certain name come, come through my office with a name that I can't pronounce, like, or it has a quisha at the end, mm -hmm. or what have you, I'm not going to hire them, regardless of their, wow. their accolades, what, what have you. So because of how somebody's parents named them, that can keep you from getting a job. You don't have to worry about that. If anything, if, if John Smith or Megyn Kelly or whatever comes across... <laughs> They're going to be like, okay, Megan, let's see what Megan, and they're going to go straight to what, and, and if they deserve the job. But I've, I've literally heard business owners and CEOs and whatnot say, if a Daquan shows up, regardless wow. what his background is, I will not hire him. Wow. So that is what, those are some of the things of why, or if we get into the nitty gritty as far as like police go. Yeah. Here we go. Um, white privilege goes for okay. So, a uh, twelve-year-old kid, okay, in an open carry state, yep. has a explain that. Uh, Tamar Rice, right? No, uh, open carry state. An open carry state, a state where it is legal for you to walk down the street with a gun on your the, side. in the open on your side, just like the old west, one hundred fifty like years the old ago. West. Right. It's perfectly legal. He's in an open carry state. Somebody feels uneasy about him having a BB, like a BB gun, calls the police on him. The police show up without asking any questions, pop, 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 he's dead. Yeah. And automatically it's, well, what was he doing with a gun? What was he doing with a BB gun? Hmm. Why did he have a BB gun out? If it looked so realistic, 
Why was he walking down the street with a, with a realistic BB gun? And instead of saying, why would the police feel threatened by a 12-year-old with an orange-tipped BB gun that they felt like they had to use lethal force? Meanwhile, yeah. now, Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. Man walks into a church, kills nine people. Black. Nine black people. Yeah. Um, he has lots of, of white supremacist paraphernalia, things like that. Not only does he get taken into custody, they stop by Burger King to get him something to eat on the way to jail. Yeah. That is white privilege right there. Okay. Like the fact that you can commit a heinous crime, uh, or we can go That's with... That's also racism, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And, or if we look at the guy who... Just a few months ago, the guy who did the shooting down at, uh, in Colorado Springs yes. um, uh, at the, at the Planned, Planned Parenthood, Parenthood. Yes. Sure. Um, he shot and killed a police officer. He did. A white police officer. He did. And if a black man were to even hint at shooting a police officer, he would get arrested or shot. Yeah. This guy gets praised by people. I saw so many comments like, I can only imagine how, like, thank God that he was there to save all the, the abortion, like the aborted fetuses or whatever. And it's like, nobody touched on the fact that he killed a police officer, but if it would have been anybody else, then he would not be alive right now, let alone in jail. So white privilege is, is white people getting away with what black people can't. Yeah, essentially that is a good way to put it. It's, it's what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. Got it. So, you, as, as a black man in Colorado, you see a, a white man shoot a black cop, mm-hmm. and they go to jail? I mean, have you seen that? I have never seen that. I have not seen that. I'm sure it's occurred. Yeah. But, but if a and, white... and that's the thing, too, is that none of these circumstances are universal. No. Because, of course, there are people that, there are white people that have been shot by police. Yeah. There are black people that have committed crimes and been arrested and not killed. So the difference is, is that, and another thing about white privilege is kind of, it, you have the privilege of controlling, you have the privilege of controlling how you're perceived. Yeah. Meaning if, for example, Planned Parenthood guy, yeah. he shoots four people or Charleston, South Carolina guy, he shoots nine people. Yeah. The, the guy who did all the, the Aurora uh, theater shooting. Nobody white is saying, that's us. They're going, that guy's crazy. Like, so, that's not me. That guy's crazy. But with us, it's like, see, black people are, are violent. 80% of people incarcerated, men that are incarcerated in our United States of America, are black. Uh, 80% of the people who are in jail... Uh, are in jail for the reasons of either uh, narcotics, you know, like marijuana, or drugs, selling of drugs, uh-huh. or are rape, uh-huh. or black men. White guys do that too. Right. Uh, I However, don't, I don't understand how white guys get away with it. Are you familiar with the prison? And there's more white folks in the, this country. Are you familiar with the prison industrial complex? I am. Okay, so that's what that is. Okay. There are... Because it's, it's, it's these, these prisons, what are you saying, folks? in the audience and listening, is that there are jails out there that are f- basically jails that are privately owned, privately and, owned and they're not state-owned. They mean 
they're they're like hotels. They're 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 they are they are for profit. They are they for, are for they are profit. for profit jails. They if they're not full, no one's making any money. They they commission themselves. They commission the states and they make deals with certain states. Correct. And they say we need you to keep us at eighty percent capacity, hundred percent capacity, right. whatever. So that means because we have deals with Applebee's mm-hmm. and whatever else to where the prison labor makes the uniforms for Applebee's. So if we don't have prison labor, then we're not getting our money and we will sue you for not keeping us full. And another thing they do is they sometimes the call centers that you call into for right. your credit card or or you know to complain about Applebee's right. is a prison guy. Right, absolutely. And that's true. So then what happens is you there's been numerous judges who have actually been found guilty and arrested and gone to jail for being caught getting taking payoffs for uh giving black criminals harsher sentences for the sake of keeping profit. these yeah for yeah. the sake of profit, profit for keeping these jails full right. because if you're if you are if if you are in the process if you have the ability to determine who is going to be going to jail and are you going to have a lot of people that look like you or are you going to say these people, I have no connection to them. So I'm going to make sure like that has, if, if Leroy Jackson, I don't care if he, if he loses his life and can't get a job or whatever, like I would rather see more of them locked away and less people like me. So because I have that power, then that's how it goes. The N word, the N word, the N word, the word, the word, the word redneck. Um, no, <laughs> no, no. Um, the N word has, has, yes, has resonated. Um, and I think if you haven't watched the first episode of OJ versus the people on FX, no, there, the N word has been, has been used to terrify, mm-hmm. has been used to culturalize mm-hmm. and it's been used to demoralize. Uh-huh. Now I've heard it. All over, right? And the word is nigger. Nigger. The in in your mind, when you hear it from a white man, and let's say an upper class white man, mm-hmm. how, do you, um, how do you feel? To be honest, I feel sorry for them because I'm like, it's 2016. <laughs> like you're seriously thinking, like for real, yeah. like you're an antique right now. <laughs> Like how do you, how do you and I get it because if you're an older white guy that means you grew up where that word was cool for your family to classify another group of people right. your family or your friends or your group of your 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 social circle right even even you know police right. and like you if if you're in your 60s or 70s you grew up to where police would look you in the face and say, these niggers are not going to go to school with you. You, like, I'll see to it. In your mind, what does it mean? I mean, if, if someone says nigger, does it mean uneducated black, black boy? Or does, because when, I, when I'm called a redneck, mm-hmm. uh, it means uneducated white boy. In, okay. in the South, where I'm from, when you're called a redneck, you're an uneducated white kid who doesn't know what's going on. Right. So the definition is just an ignorant person. That okay. is like the Webster's, Dictionary. So white people could be niggers. So white people can be niggers. Yeah. But 
then it's it was taken and bastardized, as many terms are, yeah. and applied to a specific group of people. Now, my friends uh, all over the planet have asked me to ask you this, and I have some other questions for you, too, on this topic. Uh-huh. Um, well, what they've said is the South has lost the term plantation owner. They're called farmers now. Mm-hmm. Why don't the black culture and, and people like NWA, Public Enemy, Snoop Dogg, all the others, stop using the word? So Stop using it. I wish we would. Okay. I personally hate it, but I hate it in every variation. Right. I think like what's that, up my yeah, yeah right like I think that you lose part of because nothing nothing angers me more than when you hear about like a racist cop shooting or you hear about a politician uh, getting caught saying those words mm-hmm. or whatever and you hear a rapper like Lil Wayne or somebody get on and talk about how. Uh, how ridiculous it is and how outraged they are. It's like, really? You say that 47 times in one verse and it's a verse about how you sell poison to your community. Like you are not qualified to talk about any outrage in regards to that word. So as far as I'm concerned, it should be universal. To me, it is always negative. I don't see it as a term of endearment, regardless of if it's from a friend or anybody else. I made a song about that, about that very term. Yes, you did. Um, Because... I think that there are far more endearing terms in the entire English language that you could choose. And I think that it's very lazy to argue for why you should be able to use a negative term as a term of endearment towards another person. That's stupid to me. I can't wrap my head around it at all. I have never used what's up my redneck. I just, right. I just have it. It doesn't come to term. Your lovely mother is here. She is. She, and then she arrived uh, at, during the intermission. Uh-huh. We are so happy to have her here. Um, back in 1952, mm-hmm. the word nigger mm-hmm. mean, meant so much a different term. Mm-hmm. There was segregation. There was black and white bathrooms. There was black and white faucets. We've come a long way in a culture uh-huh. in 65 years. Sure. D- to your mother's generation, and I know, I know you can't speak for her, but I know you do speak to her. And you had conversations because of the 65 years that's, that's changed our, our culture in the United States. How far have we come? I mean, how, where are we? I mean, and we're going to get to Obama. Let's not, we're sure. not going to talk about Obama yet. But, but how, where have we come? I mean, where are we? In that, and you can use that word. Uh-huh. I mean, and where, where are we? Where, where are we? Where do you think we We are? have come a great deal. And I'm not going to be one of those people that says, like, that we haven't come far because we have. Like... For example, my girlfriend is Caucasian. Right. In the 50s, I would have been... I, I still could have been lynched Absolutely. at that time for having a white girlfriend. Right. Um, so, like, we've, gone a, we've come a great deal, and we've, gotten, we've, we've crossed cultural barriers to where there's members of every race and creed and culture that participate in every other race, and cult, race culture, or whatever, um, activities. You know, there's... Asian rappers and white rappers and all that stuff. And there's um, black classic pianists mm-hmm. and things like that, which there have been for forever. Absolutely. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of right. Stevie Wonder, but you, right. you can do what you want. So we, we've, we've come a long way. However, there's still a long way to go because we still, we still suffer with, a lot of white America wants things to be swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. 
and we can't move forward if we can't appreciate what if we if we can't even acknowledge what's wrong because a lot of people are unwilling to acknowledge what's wrong so you can never improve on anything if you fail to acknowledge that there's even a problem black lives matter um jake from indonesia do black people understand that because he feels that all lives matter i was hoping somebody would ask that yeah and he did okay (laughs) so here is and he's from Indonesia, so who you know. here is the here is the difference. So, a lot of people that hear Black Lives Matter, they think that it's uh, an exclusive term instead of it being an inclusionary term. We are saying Black Lives Matter too. Mm. So yes, all lives matter. Or However, also, right? yes. Also However, with most people that I've found that most people who say all lives matter use that term to mask their apathy towards the towards the plight of another culture that they don't care about. Right. So, because if you truly felt that all lives mattered, then that would mean that the plight of the, the black kids that get shot by police would anger you just as much as the plight of anybody, anything that happens to anybody in your community. It should be universal. And if so, if you if you really feel like all lives matter, then you should be right there on the picket lines, and there would be a lot less of these tragedies if the rest of America spoke out. But it's like the black community has to speak out for ourselves because there's not enough people that are going to say, "Hey, that's wrong." If anything, a lot of people try to find reasons to validate why it's okay for somebody to be stripped of their rights and be murdered on site instead of given due process. Another question on race. Uh, this comes from Jesse from Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Why do black men, athletes, and rappers like white women? Uh, that's a no. That's that's, that's a, a legitimate. Valid, question. That's a legitimate question. Ab- absolutely. I can't speak it in Spanish, but that's what he wants. That's a, and to be completely. I blunt, just wanted that he wants to know. No, no, completely blunt. To to be completely blunt, a lot of them, a lot of the athletes and whatnot, find that it's just easier. Okay. It's just easier flat out. Like the the way that black women are raised and how they are in a relationship is just culturally completely different than the average white woman. And so the average white woman is a lot more subservient and less argumentative. No, I'm just saying in regards to hold on. Wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm saying that y- you can for example, it has nothing to do with that. Okay, it has I'm nothing not. right, and I didn't, and, and that's not disrespectful. But as far as like, the husband comes home and he could be like, "Babe, where's dinner?" And she'll be like, "Oh, babe, sorry, like I took care of the kids, but I'll get on it right now." But if you come home to a black woman and you say, "Where's the dinner?" She would like, "Mother, okay, you like right, what, nigga? You ain't you ain't getting on like you didn't you didn't get done. Yeah, you know you could have had talk. You know, yeah. and so a lot of them to. If they're, especially if they've, if, if they've been in positions where they've been surrounded by black women their yeah. entire life, and now because of either the status of being an athlete or a rapper, they're now exposed to a different type of woman than what they're used to, then it's like a whole new world. So it's like, wow, I didn't even know that this existed. Let me try that out for a bit. Now, that's not all of them. That's not all of them. Because, What's in his pants? Right. And that's not all of them. Because, for example, yeah. like I mentioned before, my girlfriend is white and it had nothing to do yeah. with that but just with the fact that 
her and I happened to have a, like, we met through a mutual friend, nice. and we had a lot of chemistry, yeah. and so I'm just not the type of person that's going to say I only date one type of person. Right, and it does seem that, that black rappers and black athletes do have a lot of white sure. women around them. Um, this is um, Nick, uh, Catherine. Uh, I, don't need to, I don't need to know if we need to know race, but she is a white girl from Virginia Commonwealth University, my alma mater. Um, why are black parties better than white parties? <laughs> I can definitely speak now, on this. <laughs> I can definitely speak on this. Growing up in Littleton, yeah. I can say why. I, I don't know why either. It's a great question. That's why I chose it from her. But okay. of the million, we we had a lot of questions we could have asked. Uh, because black parties, for the most part, you know, and I'm going to say for the most part on both, just to keep myself, uh, you know, but. Um, <laughs> Black get people more. I black, don't know. No, black people. <laughs> black people. When they have a party, there's music. They're there to have a good time. There's yeah. a lot of loud music. They're there to dance. Mm-hmm. There's food. Like everybody. And dancing starts right away for you guys. It takes us to get drunk. Right. We have to get drunk. You guys black are like, people, let's go. Yeah. The DJ. Hey, white guys have to get. White guys and white DJ, girls have to go. <laughs> soon as the DJ hits your jam, it's like, let's get on the. Have dance you ever been floor. to a white rave? Um, I have. It not. takes about three hours to start. Right. <laughs> I have been to many black, and, and, and I mean, the thing is, is like with white parties, they're more, I call yeah. them get-togethers. <laughs> black people, a lot of black people, on Christmas, a lot of black people, a lot of black people party, and a lot of white people have get-togethers. Like, they get Aww. together, the music so is like. So black people don't have playgroups, huh? Like, like <laughs> the white part, the white get-togethers, they're oh. like. Like, the music is moderate because everybody wants oh, to be able to have yeah. their conversation. Like, everybody's sitting down. Like, if, if you get up at all, it's because there's no chairs left or, like, you're going to get some more food from the kitchen. Oh, and, God. like, it's very timid and very calm. It takes and, forever to get started. Right. And then it only gets crazy and guess when a- half of the people leave because they're bored. And then the few people that are wild have finally gotten dr- drunk enough to where they're just making out with whoever, right. and then that's like when the party gets crazy for like half hour. And who's usually who's usually the MC or or, or DJ at a white party? There is none. A black guy. <laughs> <laughs> there is none. There is none. Most every single every single black party that I've, or every single white party that I've been to, every single white get together has been like, we've got our yeah. stereo, and we're gonna play Bob Dylan all night. <laughs> And you know, and we're not going to keep it too loud and <laughs> and smoke smoke marijuana. Yeah, yeah. This is the last listener question. This is the first time we've ever done listener questions. Uh, we've had a lot of offers for it on on some other guests, but uh, Curtis's topic is so great. Uh, this is Karen from Atlanta. The last question is: Why do U.S. press love it when white blonde women go missing and black girls they don't care? Um. Well, that's because. Again, not all lives matter as much, perceptively wise. Like, there's there's more, there's far more white people that watch the average like CNN and stuff like that than there are blacks, and, and it's usually an affluent white girl being missing. Right. Yeah. And so, just like how the average black person honestly probably doesn't care that much if Susie got abducted, there's far more people that are actually watching that care far less if uh, Shaniqua got abducted, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. than if Maggie gets abducted. Sure. So they're going to play to pander towards their, their 
particular audience, you know. Our last little segment here, guys, before we uh, say goodbye, is, is obviously Obama. Uh, President Obama has been in office now for eight years. This is his last full year in office. And um, he's done some good things. And, and, of course, every president makes mistakes as well, depending on how you, how you view it. Um, Chris, how do you view our first African-American black president? Um, I think that he's done an okay job. I think that he hasn't been the best, but what... Who is really? Who has ever really been completely satisfied with a president ever? Yeah, no. Yeah, anybody, exactly. And so, he's had some pitfalls. Some of them were his fault. Some of them weren't. And he's come with. He's come across a lot of opposition, and a lot of the opposition that he's come across has been by for no other reason than they wanted him to fail because of his race. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people in Congress and Senate and the Senate, especially in the Republican Party, have gone against what, like, they, they would have a plan that they signed off on, like a bill, uh, a couple of years prior that was presented by a Republican. Mm-hmm. But then when Obama just puts his name on it and says virtually the same thing, all of a sudden, it's a horrible idea. It's terrible for the budget. We are going to make sure that nobody votes for it. And they, will, they, would, do, they, would, they would go through hell and high water to make sure that nothing that he was able to do succeeded. Well, the average uneducated, the average uneducated white person doesn't know how white his mom is. Right. She's um, very she is white. very white from Kentucky. Yeah. And that never really got out. And it, it he was born in privilege. I mean, he was raised mm-hmm. in Hawaii. He he went to a very I mean, he went to Harvard and Columbia Law School. I mean, he's had a good life. Right. His children will have good lives. And and another thing is as far as the black community goes, like one gripe I've had from about the black community in regards to Obama sure. is that the black community expected him to, to come in and be a superhero. And so they can't, they looked now, at what Obama. Did, what did they expect? They looked at Obama like we made it now, like Fix uh, it. our communities are going to be fixed. Um, all of a sudden the police are going to stop shooting us. Uh, all of a sudden we're going to get better education all of a sudden, all our all of our neighborhoods are going to get fixed. Our schools are going to get fixed. Our our uh, violence problem is going to get fixed. And it's like a lot of them put unrealistic. Like you've never expected that from any other president. You knew that they didn't care. And at the end of the day, there's so much on his plate that it's it's the community's job. To improve the community. Absolutely. You have to be you have to be the change that you want to see. So you can't sit there and say, I'm broke, I'm gonna start selling drugs because that's the way that I've it's the easiest way for me to get money. And I'd rather make fast money than go make eight dollars an hour or whatever. And, and even and even though you know that it's poisoning your community make that decision and then turn around and say the president needs to make my community better when you're doing just as much to harm your community as anybody else. And a president inherits the country they're given. Exactly. And he inherited a recession. Yes. So, I mean, he was, inherited a shit show. Yeah, he did. This is your request. Yes. This is your last request that we talk about before we say goodbye. Donald Trump. <laughs> um <laughs> This is Chris's request, Chris Bennett's request to talk about it. What's going on with Trumpy? So I have this I have this fantasy 
that like it's really this whole ploy and that he's going to make it and then he gets nominated, right? And then when he gets nominated, then he flips the script and is like, psych, I just, I said all this outlandish shit to everybody because I wanted to point out how ridiculous this country still is. And how, can you believe how loyal some of these people are to me? Like I, remember, I saw, and, and then like basically be there to point out that we still have a lot of problems that need to be fixed and we need to look internally at that. I mean, he but, insults Iowa and gets seven votes. I mean, gets seven delegates. Right. That's just one less than Hillary. And so even though I know that that's my fantasy and I know that there's no way that's true, like it, it's, I find that he has been the voice of the repressed white American that has come to current times where when they were, when we were back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So the baby boomers. Yes. A lot of the baby boomers and older, okay. they were able to vocally say that they didn't like a particular group of people mm-hmm. and not, and it was, it was accepted. And so then as times change and the generations get more and more tolerant of people, then this older group of people is now being forced to pretend to be tolerant. And so they're being forced to say like, oh no, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. Like I love everybody. But when they get home and the doors close, it's a completely different story. So now Donald Trump is out here like, we need to ban all Muslims and the Mexicans are all criminals. And these people that have been repressing all that stuff are finally like, yes, he's speaking for me. Like that is my dude. And I don't care what he says. I will be with him to the end because I feel like finally I have a, represent, a representative. Wow. And I don't, have to be, I don't have to be politically correct anymore. I don't have to tell people, like pretend to like people anymore. I can literally come out and say I don't like black people and Donald Trump wouldn't like me any less or I could still be a Donald Trump supporter. And the so funny if Donald thing is, Trump becomes president, we can all say whatever we want. That's, no. Because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of fights that happen if that happens. Yeah. But, what, I'm, what I am saying also is that it's, it's completely different. And when we talk about race, again, mm-hmm. as far as the difference between, for example, Obama's campaign versus Donald Trump's campaign. Remember when Obama was running the first time? Yes. And he had the preacher that he had, whose church he attended, Jeremiah Wright. Yes. And Jeremiah Wright had said some things during his sermon. It was Oprah's which, church too, right? Which was perceived as being anti-American which weren't necessarily anti-American, but like, and like the, state, the, the, the country is messed up and we gotta, there's a lot of stuff going on that, we, that people aren't saying. But, you know, of course, it's spun to be anti-American. Right. Right. Of course. So then when Obama gets closer, there's like, okay, you're at this line now. The only way that you can step over this line, the only way that we'll allow you to step past this point is if you publicly denounce this person. Right. Now you have Donald Trump, yeah. who half of his followers, you have people that at his rallies are spitting in people's faces yes. and punching people because they're Muslims. Yes. And you have not once seen Donald Trump step up to the microphone and say, I, I do not agree with what these people he are. He said, give the guy his coat and get him out of here. Exactly. He's never once been forced by anybody to apologize or to denounce the people that have been in his crowd that have done these horrible things. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, it's 
all fair game, and he's able and and uh, I think that it's we're going to see a huge race problem more so than we do now if Donald Trump is elected because those people that have been waiting and biting their tongues are going to now feel like they are represented and then they're going to come out the woodworks and there's going to be problems. Our Colorado caucus slash primary is March 1st, so let's stay tuned to see what's going to happen then. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Tell us how the people can find you, follow you, listen to your music. Tell us what all uh, So you can find me on Facebook, uh, backslash E-M-C-E-E, the number three, and T-W-O, that's M-C spelled out in three, two. You can catch me on SoundCloud. A lot of my music is for free download. That's www.soundcloud.com, all one word, backslash the real three, two, T-H-E-R-E-A-L, the number three, T-W-O. You can also use the real three two and find some of my performance videos on YouTube, and uh, yeah, that's. that's and then awesome. oh yes, and I have a website as well, three uh, two music.com. Awesome, and you perform all over the place. I perform frequently around town. Yeah. You ready for Rob's fast five questions? I'm ready. Here we go. When I say the word advocate to you, uh, when I introduce you, you know, Chris Chris Bennett is an advocate. What are you an advocate of? Um, well, for one thing, I noticed, and you call me an activist, and. I have friends who are activists, and I'm, I don't even hold a candle to them. Okay. So I wouldn't consider myself an activist. I'm opinionated. Okay. But yes. I, haven't done, I haven't done half as much for the community, especially in, in the community of like Park Hill and whatnot in Denver, as some of my friends. So I would and I never was referring to your rapping as well. I mean, sure. there's some good stuff in there. Right. Some um, good, good stuff. But as far as an advocate, I, I would just say that I'm an advocate of... Um, I would say keeping things balanced. Hmm. I like that. Like I, I'm, hypocrisy drives me insane, and the hypocrisy from the powers that be and from different races, but black, white, and every other race. Like we all are hypocrites in some level, and that drives me nuts on every level. Can can racism be funny sometimes? Um, no. Racism cannot be funny. Stereotypes can be funny, but there's a difference. Okay, Explain. like help us. Okay, for example, if you say there's an Asian guy and you see him like swerve a little bit in the car, and you're like, "Hi, oh, yes, because Asian got people can't drive or whatever," and it's like it's it's quirky, it's funny. It does it doesn't mean all make Asian the best people cars. right? I don't know. It all all it, of course we all know that that doesn't apply to all Asian people. However, where it becomes racist is if you own a truck company and an Asian guy comes in and applies and you say, I will not hire you because Asian people can't drive. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a difference right there. Mm -hmm. The, um, so, so, stereotypes mm -hmm. can be funny. Yes. Okay. When you cook, mm -hmm. when you cook your favorite meal that you've ever created, and it can be something you created or just a recipe you love. I don't really do recipes. Okay. So when you're when you're creating in the, when you're creating in the kitchen, uh -huh. what do you like to make? I can, I make, I go through phases, man. Like when I'm at home, I make a lot of Mexican food. I make a lot of Asian food. I work at a Chinese restaurant right now. What's uh, the name of it? It's called Uncle Joe's Hong Kong Bistro. It's right around the corner. I, uh, yeah, uh, you're you're working there. Yes. Heck yeah, man. We yes. will go. I'm the sous chef there. All right. So we will definitely uh, go. Yeah. So I do that. Obviously, a lot of French food. Like that's my. The, the, the core of my culinary knowledge comes from French cuisine. So there's a lot of that mixed. 
What do you what what do you fear the most? Being broke. <laughs> like like and I don't and I don't mean that in a in a superficial way. I mean that like cuz we live in the land of plenty. I mean, well well we live in a land where you can't accomplish much without having much. Yeah. Unfortunately. It's it's very rare to find somebody that can come from nothing and accomplish great things without any financial backing. Are you saying we value money now more than people? Um, you know what? Well, yes, I would say that. But I would also say that it's not even necessarily that it's the money per se, but there's just so many steps that have to be taken, and there's n- none of them are free. You mm-hmm. know, for example, I would love to be like a touring hip-hop artist, and I would love to get more of my music out there. However, I can't afford to go on the road and miss work. I can't afford to be a working man and have enough money to pay for more CDs to get pressed and more T-shirts to get made. So a lot of times, I, I, I think that my fan base is about a quarter of what it could be, less than a quarter of what it could be, but I just don't have the financial means to reach more people. Okay. I can't. It, unfortunately, my talent is not enough for me to just go on a stage, speak, and then have the rest of the people say, "Oh my gosh, he's amazing! Let me follow him. Let me tap into everything that he's doing." My last question to you, and we have now had you on the longest of any guests we've ever had on the show. The topic of conversation. It's because I'm the first black one. It is. It is. Um, you have been you have been a very special guest, and I was I was so so geeked and, and privileged to have you on. My last question to you: I want you to be a predictor now. Mm-hmm. I want you to predict the future. Mm-hmm. In what year will the word nigger be no longer part of our culture? Never happen. Never happen. It'll never happen. Okay. Because there's far too many black people that still like to use it, and there's far too many black people that still like to have the hypocrisy like I mentioned before, of saying... The I fuel, can, you mean? The fuel to the fire? Uh, where they say, I can say it, but you can't. Right. So as long as there's people saying, I want to use it, and you can't use it, there's going to be people that want to use it that will say, I'm going to say it anyway, and I'll call you that when, the, like, when your back is turned. So you think it's something powerful over the white culture? It's powerful, okay. and not only that, but there's still all those Trump supporters, for example, <laughs> who are going to teach their kids that that's a word that you say. And so no matter how far our country goes, there's going to be those group of people. And so I honestly don't see a future in this country where that word is not part of the vocabulary in some shape, form, or fashion. It has been an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. For being here. Of course, I couldn't do the show without my incredible crew and staff. They are outstanding. They keep the show going. They keep me up and going. They keep themselves up and going, and we just do it week in and week out every Wednesday night here at the Press Club. I want to thank Will, my director, producer, and great chief editor. He just does an outstanding job. I hope you like what you listen to. My IT director, he does a lot of editing as well with Will, Matt, and, of course, Chantel, who does a lot of our uh, marketing work for us. Mancho from Cameroon, who does all our AV stuff for YouTube. And, of course, our wonderful executive producer, Mariah Weiss, who keeps us all tame and, and together as a unit. And uh, we cannot do this without the Denver Press Club either. The Denver Press Club hosts us every week. I'm a proud member and uh, very happy that we are here every Wednesday. And I want to thank the staff. Carmen, the general manager. Bruce Goldberg, the president of the club. And, of course, the staff here, Mark and Will 
uh, the best bartenders and cooks around. So if you are in the Denver metro area, come by and see us on Wednesdays. We'd love to see you. Listen, talk, love, and wake up with a purpose every day to do something good. And you just might be right down here with us in downtown Denver at the Denver Press Club as our topic of conversation. Thank you and good night. Center stage, translating what is gone from your heart to the page, your grade A, and hoping you can make it a vast. If the slave was counting the crowd, then you better look fast. That they're not human beings, just some snakes in the grass. If you don't know what I speak, I'll take some notes in my class. A label's main objective nowadays is just making money. The music ain't even secondary. Isn't that funny? Cause once upon a time, the music went hand in hand. Labels made the most money when they signed the better bands. Consumers' high standards led to certain demands, but skill wasn't always translated to sound scans. But still, the leeches took it over and it started a trend. Music wasn't the objective, just the means to an end. They built a temple so high, made of lies and deceit. I laid a bomb in the foundation. When the chemicals meet, I'll bring it down. Payola helped control the song that went on the air With smaller labels, can't play stations, and the songs aren't there With diversity decreasing where it used to belong The major labels got new faces, platinum off of a song Fabricators kill us all, let's make their way to the ranks While the suits laugh their asses all the way to the bank And any artist that was biased, tried to find or reject it Was replaced by a comic copy, who would accept it? Make him feel like he's rich with a car and a chain Shoot videos with all our big chicks to sing the refrain And the people start accepting it, we entered an age Where the artistry was pushed to the back of the page Platinum artists getting shafted, making minimum wage Off the lyrical C4 on the stage So I can bring it down The folks are breaking down on the fame All the rats getting fatter off the hooks in your dreams I'm looking down for the best who were meant to be king I love the hell five months away The watch is a ring I'm bringing down on the folks are breaking down on the fame All the rats getting fatter off your hooks in your dreams I let the walls fall down till it fades into black And when the new dawn arises, we will take it all back Push the crappy ringtones and MP3s And have the nerve to wonder why nobody's buying CDs Thought for ignorance of hopeful sin on making it far Then kick them back in the mud when they reach for a star Didn't make this up for fame, didn't make it for class This is more than just the music, didn't make it for daps It's a music revolution, set up bridging the gap Time to show commercialism that was sick of this crap And that was sick of taking back seats and sick of playing fair Sick to listen to the same eight songs on the air Sick of family aided devils for a chance at the throne I won't change my movement cause I know that I'm not alone This is bigger in the shower, y'all, you know that it's true I know the punk rock and country seems a feeling it too So let's unite and form a wrecking ball Head straight to the palace and demolish the grounds Pillars while they sit from the chalice I'm bringing down the coaches, bringing down on the fame All the rats getting fatter off your hopes and your dreams I'm bringing down for the best who were meant to be king I love the hell five months away to watch the rings I'm bringing down on the coaches, bringing down on the fame All the rats getting fatter off your hopes and your dreams I let the walls fall down till it fades into black And when the new dawn arises, we gon' take it all back Go to a show and try to support
local music is dead. Got all the days when we smile, but you drink from a cup. We gon' keep pushing forward till they stop back enough. To the radio heads trying to say the music is dead. Go to a show and try supporting local music is dead. Got all the days when we smile, but you drink from a cup. So as easily as your towers went up, we about to bring it down. Fall down to the face in the black, and when the new dawn arises, we gon' take it all back.